y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Daddy. This week on the show, correspondent for NPR's Code Switch team, Karen Grigsby-Bates, and the host of NPR's Embedded, Kelly McEvers. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all, from NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Happy weekend. Yes. As Betty said, I have two wonderful guests in-house this morning. Woo. Kelly McEvers, host of NPR's Embedded. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Karen Grigsby-Bates of NPR's Code Switch team. Thank you as well. You are welcome. Wearing my favorite here. dagger scarf. This is, this is another different one. dagger scarf. <laughs> this, this is actually daggers and knives. The other one is swords. But, yes, on Fridays when I do your show, I come with weapons. Yes, yes. <laughs> so also in studio today we have rihanna because she's in the news this week but let's just give rihanna a moment to sing to us yeah i'm playing this because there were some headlines this thursday about rihanna and how she turned down a very big gig mm-hmm. she was asked to play the halftime show at the super bowl in 2019 and she said no because she wanted to stand in solidarity with Colin Kaepernick and other NFL players that have been taking a knee in protest at NFL games. And if people have been turning their noses up at the fact that she's not singing, her company, Fenty Beauty, is on track to be like the most successful, <laughs> the biggest grocer um, wow, it's her makeup line. Yeah, her makeup line, which is good makeup. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there's a point at which you're big enough that <laughs> you, don't you need can the Super Bowl. say no to the Super <laughs> yeah. Bowl. That's pretty amazing. I mean, that's definitely the thing I thought when I saw that headline. Yeah. I was just well, like, okay. Plus, she's in sync with her fans, because I think a lot of right. them are like... Yeah. And who could ever do a better job than Prince, so... Thank you. you need forward and give me all the work, 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 work. We'll start this week by having all of us describe our week of news and only... Three words. Kelly, you're up first. I hate to be dramatic. It's okay. About this week of news, yeah. and actually the past couple weeks of news, but my three words are this is scary. Mm. And I'm talking about Jamal Khashoggi, um, the well, Saudi journalist who is living in the United States and who is believed to have been murdered um, by Saudi officials in the Saudi consulate in Istanbul, Turkey. Who yeah. you knew? Yeah. Um, you were in the Middle East. Yep. And he was there at the same time. I actually lived in Saudi Arabia oh. um, for a couple of years. Yeah. And uh, at the time, Jamal Khashoggi was still based in Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a journalist for mm-hmm. a long time, long time journalist. Um, and it was really interesting. I was actually going back yesterday and just looking to see if I had any interviews with him. Mm-hmm. And I found some interviews that I had done about very specific stories. You know, we didn't we didn't have like broad reaching conversations. And it just was such a stark reminder that it was only one king ago in huh. Saudi Arabia, but mm-hmm. it was a totally different time in Saudi Arabia. You think it was mm-hmm. safer king then or now? King Abdullah, who was the king then, was seen as a reformer. Now this within the Saudi context, you know, it doesn't speak yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're yeah. talking about uh, degrees here, but and Jamal Khashoggi at the time was one of the many Saudis who believed in that project. And so we had a lot of conversations and I the funny thing that struck me was 
how frustrated I was by him because he was such an optimist. Really? He was so optimistic mm-hmm. that uh-huh. reform was inev- inevitable. He was kind of one of these moral arc of history bends toward justice mm-hmm. type people. Um, just like you can't, with the way the population is exploding in the Middle East, the fact that young people see a world outside of them because the internet, you know, um, and, and, and want better for themselves, you can't not reform. Yeah. You can't not change. And and I said I were in this one interview I said I said well what about after Abdullah and he's like it's it's inevitable the next king will have to do better mm. and then this I know time. I mean so Kelly watching this story unfold um, American intelligence officials now seem to believe pretty forcefully that Prince Mohammed bin Salman yeah. the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia they believe that he was involved or at least really knew about this that he had information about yeah. it there's there's decent reporting i think by the new york times and the washington post that there's at least circumstantial evidence that he knew about it maybe perhaps even ordered the killing why would they want to kill him he um spoke out against um against the current rulers in saudi arabia mm-hmm. it's interesting though i mean he didn't you know we we sort of paint him as this as this dissident, but he was still a dissident within the Saudi context. Yes, mm-hmm. he had left Saudi Arabia because he felt like he could speak more freely outside of the country, which is something I would guess was a very difficult decision for him because mm-hmm. to do that, you're leaving your family behind yeah. and um, family is so important there. Um, but he's he criticized the kingdom within sort of the Saudi context. He's like, I'm a Saudi first. Mm. I'm a Muslim. Mm. I still have very strong beliefs that this country can make it. He still had that optimism. Um, he was also very critic. Cr- he was very critical of of President Trump. Yeah. Um, and he was in the process of um, you know getting together a kind of think tank to talk about hmm. and um, you know fund Arab democracy initiatives. This is a Um, pan-Arab think tank, mm -hmm, right? It went across nations. Right. And this is just the kind of stuff that the rulers in Saudi Arabia do not want to talk about. They don't want to talk about freedoms and democracy right now. What should we make of the response to this killing Mm. by our president and his White House? At first, he was refusing to even suggest that he might believe that the Saudis were involved. It is a reality in American foreign policy before Donald Trump was around sure. that we give U.S. Saudi presidents Arabia would give Saudi cover yeah. and give them a pass. I mean, and so, I mean, I could see Obama or George W. Bush doing the same thing, but in nicer words. Right. And doing the sort of due diligence mm-hmm. of sitting down with the king, mm-hmm. you know, once a year saying, we care about human rights. Uh-huh. You shouldn't have jailed this blogger. That's bad. And it's almost like you sort of go through the motions and everybody knows that it's like that thing. Mm-hmm. But still, it's that thing you do, right? Well, you know, there go through the motions, yeah. yeah. You Pointing go out that there's a strategic reason for why we're still literally holding hands with the Saudis. Yeah. You know, that they are a military ally. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you one reason why I said this is scary. Yeah. You know, um, I have lived in countries where journalists are called enemies of the people. Mm-hmm. And we see what happens when journalists are called enemies of the people. Just Thursday night at a rally, you know, President Trump is defending a congressman, congressman from Montana who attacked a journalist. Yeah. Um, I don't want to live in this world. I don't want this world to come home in the country mm. that I thought I was safe in. Karen, do you have three words? Uh yeah, I'm kind of tired of the whole business, but my three words would be, it's my history. What's that? And 
That came from Senator Elizabeth Warren. Uh, yeah, you're tired of it, too. This story, okay, it, it started Monday, and I'm already, it feels like I've been living this saga for a year. You've been mm. living it for two years because candidate Donald Trump, mm-hmm. um, oh. after she mentioned, I think, in 2016 that she had Native American ancestry, that she came from Oklahoma, I believe. From the Cherokee that, Nation. That been, you know, Cherokee Territory. The president started calling her Pocahontas. Which led her to this week on Monday releasing a five-minute video that Warren says revealed the results of a DNA test that she took, which found, quote, strong evidence that she has Native American ancestry dating back six to ten generations. I'm not enrolled in a tribe, and only tribes determine tribal citizenship. I understand and respect that distinction, but my family history is my family history. Um, so basically, she's saying, yeah, you know, I have always been told this story in my family. It was told by my mom and dad, by my mama and papa. They've always said, you know, this is what it is. And I can take it if you're bashing me. Don't be talking about my family. Yeah. But the strangest thing to me in this entire saga, Karen, is that it seems as if Senator Warren never actually consulted the Cherokee Nation before she did this. Yeah, as and soon they had some they feelings had some about words. that. Yeah. As soon as she put this video out, they said, actually, when people use DNA to assert tribal identity or ancestry, it is insulting to us because that's not the method that we use. That's not how This is a cultural I, thing. Yeah, and that's it's not bigger how than just it. blood. Right. Yeah. And you haven't lived this way or had the experience yeah. that we've had, so right. it's kind of hard for you to come out and say this. I uh, interviewed a... Uh, sociologist who also does a lot of work with DNA at Columbia. Her name is Alondra Nelson, and she said the problem with doing these DNA tests and then claiming, oh, I'm really German instead of Italian, or I'm really whatever, is that DNA is technical and identity is social. Exactly. So you can't really mix it two. Yes. They're running on parallel tracks. And she got to live an entire life as a white woman mm-hmm. and get whatever you get out of that. Also, it's like the one time we have a national conversation about Native people, they're centered on white people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just feels weird It's weird. To me. I mean, in some ways, it's like going forward, how should we talk about well, it? And I think also, that's the question because there's this weird thing in American culture of like, I've got, you know, my great-great-grandmother was a Cherokee princess or something like yeah. that. It's really awkward. I mean, people, I think, say it less and less. But like... You know, is it time to just sort of reckon with all of that and, like, actually learn the history of which tribes intermarried and which tribes didn't and what does that mean and what does it mean to the tribes? Well, and even if we know that, geneticists say that in America, probably only about 5% of us have really any Native blood at all. Mm -hmm. Mm. Uh, I have three words. Okay. They are no, not yet. Okay. What does that mean? I'm talking about how it feels as if we are already in campaign 2020 mode. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, you said that wrong. No! (laughs) No, not yet! (laughs) And I'm bringing this up because of two Democrats that have been getting national attention Mm. for months now. Uh, You've mentioned Liz Warren from Massachusetts. Mm. She is one. Uh, The other one is Beto O'Rourke. He is running for Senate in Texas against Ted Cruz. I actually interviewed him on this show months ago. Uh But um, this coverage of Beto O'Rourke 
and his race against Ted Cruz has been fully nationalized. They had a debate this week, Mm -hmm. and it got national coverage. I saw journalists from New York and D.C. live tweeting this thing. There are more than one podcast about Beto O'Rourke. He's running for the Senate, not for president. Mm -hmm. And it seems as if he has become this great hope for liberals, especially in this season of Trump. But even on his best days, the polls have him down by, like, at least yeah. five points. You're right. The coverage has, has shifted. Um, and then the conversation was about how much money he's raised, yes. right? And then there was a big question about, is he going to share that money with other r- Democrats? Democrats, yeah. In other national races where Democrats are neck and neck for yeah. Senate races in, in tight states, is he going to help them win? Yeah. And the answer was basically no. It's my money. <laughs> right. And it was like, and then the sense, the narrative kind of became, but that's okay. Because he's going to run in 2020. he's going to run in 2020. Like, literally, like, he hasn't oh, Everybody's going to run in 2020. Yeah, right. There are already polls of Democratic candidates coming out for 2020. It's insane. And the other candidate that is making me think of 2020 already is Elizabeth Warren. Right. Because, you know, she had this video out about her ancestry. She talks about Donald Trump. Donald Trump is in the video. Everyone forgets. She's running for re-election in the Senate this year mm-hmm. against someone named Jeff Deal. I have been talking He's to like, folks this week who huh? who this? I have been talking yeah. to folks yeah. this week who don't actually know that she's running for Senate this year because they all think she's running against if Donald Trump. Focusing right, 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 on right, 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 2020, right. Yeah. 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 You know? Like I don't want to live in this world just yet. Yeah. I don't I'm not ready for it yet. Let it be. Don't talk to me Let about Let these Iowa. races play out. Don't talk 20, to me yeah. about polls. Yes. They've got to start raising no, money now. Karen, they have no, to. I don't That's want why to. They're out there no, eating pork chops at the state fair on a stick and I don't you know want doing all the rest it. of that. I don't too many want pork chops. Too many butter cows. Oh well because you don't want it, Sam. <laughs> the entire political system will go on hold they until want you're it. ready for it. Let us know. That's what I'm asking for. There you go. On that note, let's go to break. When we come back, we will talk about the mysterious case of fake hoax studies appearing in real academic journals. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Plume, publisher of Everything's Trash, But It's Okay, by New York Times bestselling author and star of Two Dope Queens, Phoebe Robinson. In this hilarious new essay collection, Robinson tackles big issues from intersectional feminism and race to body image, money, work, and dating. Everything's Trash, But It's Okay is available now from Plume, wherever books are sold. Support for NPR and the following message come from Hinge. Hinge is the dating app that's great at one thing, setting you up on great dates. And they're not just saying that. On Hinge, three out of four first dates lead to second dates. They are the number one mobile-first dating app mentioned in the New York Times wedding section. So if you're looking for a BFF, a job, a pen pal, or a hookup, Hinge isn't the place for you. Hinge is exclusively designed to get you out on great dates. Download Hinge in the Apple Store or Google Play. I'm Maria Hinojosa. Next time on Latino USA, will a gay Latina veteran sheriff running for governor appeal to voters across all of Texas and flip the state blue? They're challenging me. So are the people who don't like Latinos. So are the people who don't like lesbians. So are the people who don't like strong women. That's next time on Latino USA. 
We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests at NPR West, Karen Grigsby-Bates, correspondent for NPR's Code Switch team. Hey, Karen. Hey, Sam. And Kelly McEvers, host of NPR's Embedded podcast. Hello. Hi. Quick question for both of you before we get back to the news. Um, have either of you ever been to Nebraska for fun? Kind of. Where? Um, I drove the length of the state. And um, I remember it being, the parts that I went through, very beautiful. Kelly, you Yeah, been? see, I already grew up in the cornfields and the flat uh-huh. prairies, so um, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I bring this up because the state of Nebraska is out with a new ad campaign to boost tourism to Nebraska. But their whole sticking point is that the state is boring. And that's why you should come. Well, after this year, yeah, you know, (laughs) are you worn out by the chaos that you see? Yeah, right. Come to Nebraska Nebraska and unplug. Literally. (laughs) (laughs) Their slogan in one ad is, lucky for you, there's nothing to do here. I think that's genius. I think they should tell people, you know, take a take a drive through the prairies. You know what? Yeah, the they should like be like the internet turns off as soon as you cross into <laughs> Nebraska. Like we ain't got no Wi-Fi. No, come no, on over here. No social media. Like come and unplug. Yeah. yeah. John Ricks runs Nebraska's Tourism Commission, and he talked to NPR on Thursday and explained what this campaign is all about. Nebraska is a place where honest perspectives and life's simple pleasures help you realize what matters most. You know, I never had any desire to go to Nebraska. Now I'm going. <laughs> I'll do it. It sounds have great. I on somebody's front porch. <laughs> I want to vet that person first. <laughs> can't trust everybody. Can't trust everybody. Yeah, that's what I'm pie. saying. Yeah. I don't care about the conversation, but I know <laughs> the pie. Yeah, yeah. All right. In other wacky news, I want us to talk about a story in academia and the strange fight happening in that world over the last year or so. These really crazy studies have started to show up in some peer-reviewed journals. One was a study about rape culture at Portland dog parks among dogs. Another study argued that professional bodybuilding is bigoted because it doesn't include a category for, quote, fat bodybuilding. Then another study replaced anti-Semitic phrases in Hitler's Mein Kampf with feminist buzzwords. Yeah, so all these studies were part of a big hoax. Fake studies placed in real journals to show that a certain type of scholarship is corrupting academic research. These hoaxers call it grievance studies. They associate it with fields that are focused on identity, like gender studies or queer studies or critical race theory. I had to get to the bottom of this, so I called up one of the three hoaxers. Hello, James Lindsay. Hello. He's a mathematician. My background's in what's called enumerative combinatorics, which <laughs> sounds hard. nobody's... It <laughs> sounds hard. It's, it's basically solving puzzles. And I had a lot of questions for him. But first, I had to understand what he means by the phrase grievance studies. Grievance studies is... This is a little bit of a complicated term because people think we're talking about particular fields or subjects, and that's not correct. Grievance studies is something of a method. It is an approach to studying certain things. To be really, really crisp with it, the actual definition would be the definition for what is formally known as critical constructivism, which is this idea that society is built out of power dynamics that are regulated in language. And so the studies come from a position of not just, say, social marginalization or oppression or search for equality, but rather one of actual grievance where they believe that the system is rigged against them and they're frustrated with that. 
So James and two colleagues of his, Helen Pluckrose and Peter Bogosian, they got seven out of 20 of these hoax studies published. Now, we should note here, all of these hoaxers are self-described liberals. And James says all of this reveals something wrong with left-wing academia. We care about how these topics are covered, and we're sick and tired of looking at this political circus that's dominating our political landscape right now. Okay. We figure, we feel like the left has loons, the right has loons, and we're on the left. We need to clean up the left, and we hope the right's going to do it too. Yeah. And just to narrow down on that, when you say these topics, you're meaning things like gender studies, queer studies, race studies, that kind of area? Yes, exactly. Uh, gender studies, the study of race, gender, sexuality— um, anything to do with identity really it needs to be done right. It needs to be done carefully. It needs to be done rigorously. And it needs to not leave a vacuum into which, um, say, right wing pundits can can fill the space and and gain traction. Gotcha. So I just want to make sure that I'm understanding this and want to kind of make it digestible. I hear you saying that some wings in the fields of gender studies, queer studies, race studies have gone too far and that you wanted these hoax studies to prove that. Yeah, in a sense, what we wanted to prove was that they are relying upon broken methodologies that allow them to launder ideas through the scholarly process. So they can start with some opinion or even a prejudice and push it through the scholarly process because there seem to be flaws in how that material is being evaluated by the peer review system. And then it comes out looking like knowledge on the other side. Gotcha. So then what did you want these hoaxes to accomplish? Do you want to diminish these fields of study? Do you want certain scholars to go away? Do you want certain journals to go away? What did you want to tangibly happen as a result of these studies? I would like to see the scholarship on these these topics, which is incredibly important, be done better. I'd like to see rigorous work done where where criticism that comes from the outside and, outside and says, hey, you know, this methodology doesn't work or this blatantly disagrees with with what we know about biology i would like to see it to where these fields which do this can't reply oh you're just speaking from a sexist or a racist perspective whenever you try to challenge your ideas yeah so i'm looking for reform not destruction how many hours a week were you working on this i personally put in between thanksgiving and when this came public in october this year i personally put in about 90 hours a week probably on average were you not uh, working while doing this and if so how are you making money <laughs> <laughs> for the first half of the project i kept my day job and it became increasingly difficult to keep up with both and the stress was enormous and it was very difficult uh, over the course of the study we actually had a number of anonymous donors reach out to us and how'd they find you um, well, we aren't completely disconnected from the world, and Peter and I had done a previous hoax attempt called the conceptual penis as a social construct. And okay. so various people had been aware of this. They've asked to be to remain anonymous, obviously, in today's political climate and the, the nature of how controversial stuff can be. Gotcha. If okay. it matters, more money came from left donors than right donors. Noted. What has the response been like? Well— we figured that there would be a lot of pushback and there's actually been a lot more encouragement. You kind of see some scholars are pushing back against it and saying that we were mean, which that's irrelevant, even if we're not. But even if we were, that it wouldn't mean anything. They're saying we're tools of the right, which is also false. And then on the other hand, a lot of the encouragement has been really thorough. These are mostly 
people on the left, of course, the right is celebrating this, but a lot of people on the left are coming and saying, you know what, we're the left and we don't know how to speak out against this. And we just hope that more people can. You know, when I was reading about these hoax studies, part of me says, well, what if the bigger problem is in the method these journals are using and the journals and their standards, not with these grievance studies fields themselves? Like, is a bigger issue here that these journals should stop taking crap articles? Um, Possibly. One of our papers we submitted that had statistics in it and they told us to take the statistics out because it was confusing. That was a bit worrying. <laughs> Which journal was that? Uh, that would be porn studies. Lord God. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I, and okay. another one of the journals that accepted one of our papers and was working with us on a second one is Hypatia. And if you want to disregard Hypatia, then you have to disregard all of feminist philosophy more or less because it's one of the leading journals in that field and the home of many of the leading uh, systems of thought within feminist philosophy. So Hypatia, Hypatia, if you want to put it down to, you know, bad journals or whatever, or bad methods at the journals, Hypatia is a hard one to pin that on because you're throwing a lot under the bus with it. You know, my opinion is, is if you want to throw feminist philosophy under the bus because of our paper, more power to you, but you're actually probably making a mistake. But you know that people are going to see these hoax studies and these headlines, and a lot of folks are going to say, this is the reason why we need to shut down gender studies programs and, and race studies programs. And, and, and like you, that's going to happen. Yeah, but if we, if we made the decision to act entirely based on the way that bad actors might make use of our work, we could never really do anything that touches a controversial issue at all. So if the right wing wants to misuse our work to do this, then it's on par with what we were exposing in, in these academic departments. What we're after here is the truth. What we're after here is better conversations. Yeah. One of the thought experiments your hoax studies uh, launched me on was trying to create hypothetical hoax studies about public radio. <laughs> mm-hmm. Give me a hypothetical hoax study title about my line of work. About your line of work? About public radio, yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd have to put a catchy thing on the front. I'm into it. Like uh, your show's called It's Been a Minute. So we could call it It's Been a Minute Too Long. And that would be <laughs> the, the main title. Uh-huh. And the subtitle would have to be something along the lines of how how well-intended conversations on public radio perpetuate America's racial divide. I'd read that study. <laughs> I'm curious. I'm curious. Well, I can make it up for you in well, about, well, <laughs> about three well. days if you want. Oh, okay. Okay. James Lindsay, uh, thank you for speaking with me. I am sure we'll hear a lot from our listeners, but I look forward to it. Thanks, Sam. I think this is great. Thanks again to James for talking with us. Um, I think my biggest question with all of this is... All right, if you're trying to push these fields to greater truth, how do you get there through these lies, these hoax studies? Is it helping? I know. I am so tired of hoaxes, like in this post-truth era. Mm. Like we need more truth, not less. Yeah. I get get really upset about Sasha Baron Cohen in this way. (laughs) No, I really do. Like I posing as a journalist. Yeah. You know, the more of that we have, um, it just undermines the business of truth altogether, I think. Yeah. Yeah. All right, it's time for a break. When we come back, my favorite game, Who Said That? Karen is ready. (laughs) No, I just always, every time you say that, it just cheers me up. I love it. (laughs) 
following message comes from our sponsor, Capital One. Would you know if someone applied for credit using your social security number? If not, listen to Joe Whitchurch, head of the CreditWise app, talk about the new SSN tracker his team recently released. While identity fraud is something everyone needs to be worried about, we want to make it easy and seamless for them to become aware of anybody attempting to use their identity without their knowledge or permission. CreditWise is free for everyone, whether you're a Capital One customer or not. You can find CreditWise in your app or Play Store now. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Babbel, a language program that quickly teaches real-life conversations in a new language. Choose from Spanish, French, Italian, German, and more. Babbel's 10 to 15-minute lessons use interactive dialogues and speech recognition technology to get you speaking your new language correctly and confidently. Try Babbel for free by downloading the app or going to Babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L dot com. I'm Linda Holmes. There's more stuff to watch these days than you can ever get to. That's why we make Pop Culture Happy Hour. Twice a week, we give you the lowdown on what's worth your time and what's not. Find Pop Culture Happy Hour on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests today, Kelly McEvers, host of NPR's Embedded, and Karen Grigsby-Bates, correspondent for NPR's Code Switch team. Uh, I am so happy to have you both in studio. We are so happy to be we here. We are happy to be here. It is time for my favorite game, hopefully y'all's favorite game, too. Yeah. Who said that? Who said that? Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I always want to get that pitch. I know. Yeah, that's, what, that's why this is your favorite thing, yeah. right? Just because yeah. of that. Yeah. The rules are quite simple, but the game is quite hard. <laughs> I share a quote from the week. You have to guess who said that or at least get a keyword, the story I'm talking about. The winner, as you know, gets absolutely nothing. <laughs> the best prize. The of best all. prize. First quote. Fill the center of the rolling paper with your ground cannabis. <laughs> Distribute it evenly so that your joint does not resemble a hill with the bulge in the middle. Was that an instruction for Canadians now that cannabis is legal? Yes. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Why would anybody have government instructions That's on how to roll a joint? <laughs> Canada would. So this week, Canada made history uh, in legalizing marijuana for recreational use amongst all Canadians. And it is a government endeavor. So the government is selling the weed at their own dispensaries. And some provincial governments had said, we'll take it even a step further and show you how to do it. (laughs) So the government of New Brunswick has a Cannabis 101 website. Oh, my God. I love this. They tell you how to know if you're too high. They tell you (laughs) the difference between indica and sativa. Don't eat the Cheetos. They, Whatever you do, don't eat the Cheetos. They tell oh you God, how to roll this. a joint. It <laughs> Unless is there amazing. be any doubt, we're going to get we you proficient in a in... new world. They also had this section where it's like, if you feel like you're too high, you got to stay hydrated. You got to lay down and take a nap. Like, they have all the bases covered. Yeah. It's really sweet. I love it. Who got uh, that one? Okay, Karen got that one. Yes. You're up one zip. Uh, next quote. All of us redheads in the UK are wildly excited Oh, because of the new royal baby yeah. hit. Oh, oh man, well. I am deed. I did got you know nothing. That she's pregnant? I did know she was pregnant. Did yes. you know she was pregnant by her redheaded husband? Yes. And so there is some so possibility that there will be a redheaded yes. baby. Yes. <laughs> what they may be not prepared for is if they have a really brown skin redhead mm-hmm. baby because jeans are jeans. Jeans mm-hmm. are jeans. So that quote comes from Jackie Collis Harvey, uh, who was from the UK. 
and who is also redheaded and, and who has a book called Red, A History of the Redhead. We know that Prince Harry and Meghan Markle announced that she is with child this week. And I actually love these little storylines. I love a good royal baby. Mm-hmm. And this is really a royal baby because she's royal by marriage, but this baby will be royal by birth. So yeah. it's not royal adjacent. It's <laughs> right. like royal, royal. royal. Once, royal, you, royal. once you're the mama of one of those, yeah, mm-hmm. you're in. It's also like there are all these questions like, will this baby be black? Will it be redhead? And I'm like, it'll be rich. It doesn't <laughs> it'll be matter. Rich and it's it will a be royal baby. Very, very loved. Yes, yes. But that I baby could be purple. It's going to be fine. A microscope. I'm looking yeah. for a picture of Great Granny Lilibet with this little brown baby on her lap. Mm-hmm. Last quote. Ready? Okay. I ain't dead. Snitches. I'm using another word <laughs> for the radio. Yeah. <laughs> Who was killed off in something this week? Oh. Oh, this is Roseanne. Yeah. Three for three, KGC. Zero for three, (laughs) over here. Well, the only reason I remember is because I was actually looking through the news and they were talking about her tweets and about her tweet was in reference to the sort of reboot of her show, The Connors. And that that she's not on. And how they dealt with her, which was she died of an opioid OD. So backstory, Um, a few months ago, her iconic show, Roseanne, yeah. was rebooted. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yep. So that show was on the air, but it was canceled because of Roseanne Barr's frequently oh, it was canceled racist one tweets. One tweet. She tweeted specific. about Valerie Jarrett, yes. a yes. former Obama aide. Yes. She called her a monkey. Show gets canceled, but they bring back this show, The Connors. But in the first episode, to explain why Roseanne is not there, they announced that her character has died of an opioid wow. overdose. Well, th- we find that out. During the show, the thought was that she had a heart attack. And as the show goes on, you find all these places where she squirreled away. Three, four, eight pills. That's really interesting. You know what? I'd be mad, too. I'd be mad if y'all took me out that way as well. Uh, I'm sorry. Do not take me out that way. I I am with Roseanne on this one. If y'all ever take me out of this show. (laughs) We'll say Sam is traveling. And we're not quite sure when he's going to return to us, but... Keep up Aunt Betty will be guest hosting <laughs> the, the foreseeable future. I think it is good that TV and network TV is tackling opioid, yeah. is tackling this yeah. crisis, yeah. but don't do it to me. <laughs> Karen, congratulations. You won. Why, thank you. Thank like you very sweep. much. Yeah. Big, big time. I'll walk Super the rest of the day with a glow. Wow. Yes. Well, that's every day, It just Karen. means you're working harder than me, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now it's time to end the show as we always do. Every week we ask our listeners to share with us the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. Let's take a listen. Hey, Sam, this is Francine from Jacksonville, Florida. The best part of my week was taking our Jack Russell Terrier, Chloe, to the beach for the first time today. We brought our 10-year-old boxer, Zoe, too, and watched her run around in the sand like a puppy. I know how much you love dog pics, so I'll send a few your way. Have a great week. Hey, Sam, it's Justin from Collingwood, Canada. The best part of my week happened when my toddler, three years old, uh, asked me to dance with her for the first time. The best part of my week was attending my partner's military flight school graduation. I just completed my 2,650-mile journey along the Pacific Crest Trail. The best thing that happened to me this week was that my family hosted a middle school student from Amami, Japan. We will truly miss our friend when she goes home. She has the best laugh. Hi, Sam. This is Javier Marquez from Pittsburgh, California. The best part of my week is that today we'll be celebrating my daughter's laugh party. 
This is a fun traditional event that we do to celebrate the first time our baby laughs. And we'll have friends and family coming in from all over, including my mother from New Mexico and my brother from Texas. Hey Sam, this is Kate from Cincinnati, Ohio. The highlight of my week was when I received a response from my AP English teacher who I had reached out to after 15 years from my last English class. Just wanted to let her know that her class had been a highlight of my high school experience. And you know, her response made me laugh, it made me cry. We've set up a coffee date to catch up. And it was a reminder that you should never hesitate to let people know how much they've meant to you. So hope you are having a great week and love your show. Thank you. Cheers. Yeah. Speaking of AP English teachers, (laughs) Miss Donahue, formerly of Samuel Clemens High School in Church, Texas. You mean a lot to me. I think about you a lot. Oh, my 10th grade teacher, Ray Heath. Teachers. Dan McLaughlin, who just recently retired from Lincoln College. He was our speech coach. Uh, And and look at you now, speechifying. So people should get in touch with their teachers and just say hey and thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks to all the voices you heard there. Francine, Justin, and Katie, Cameron, Nancy, Javier. And Kate, uh, we listen to all these that come in. They mean so much to us every week. Keep sending me more. Uh, send me a note at samsanders at npr.org with your best thing, samsanders at npr.org. With that, Mama, we made it. Rihanna, take us home. Mm-hmm. Thank you all for being here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Fun weekend plans? Surfing. Okay, okay. <laughs> Karen? I think I'm going to drive a little bit north to Pasadena and see if there's any fall up there. You oh, know, I'm yeah. a New Englander and I miss <laughs> I am going to see Dear Evan Hansen this weekend. Oh, premieres oh. in L.A. Nice. I'm excited. Yeah, fun. It'll be good. Downtown. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. Oh, cool. that yeah. was a great musical. I'm looking forward to it. All right. This week, the show was produced by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry with help from Alex McCall. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson, and our fearless editor is Jordana Hochman. Uh, Our engineer today was Marcia Caldwell, who, fun fact, before we began to tape, was listening to Now That's What I Call Music, Volume 59. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Our big boss is NPR's senior VP of programming, Anya Grundman. Listeners, refresh your feed Tuesday morning for an episode all about politics. We are talking about the year of the woman, and I have three women in the show with me. Nice. Uh, Danielle Kurtzleben, who covers politics for NPR, and Stacey Abrams, who's running for governor in Georgia, Georgia. Yeah. and Elizabeth Hang, running for Congress in California. It'll be a lot of good chats in that episode. Check for it on Tuesday. With that, thanks to uh, the two women here with me. Thanks to the listeners. Uh, Till next time, talk soon. You can tell like three of the words and then you're just like, what is it? It's a great yeah. song. I hope that Yeah. It's okay. She makes one hell of a lip gloss. <laughs> Get done, done, done.